This is Invest Talk. Independent thinking, shared success. Justin Klein and Steve Peasley stand ready to take your finance and investment questions and share their unbiased answers. Invest Talk is made possible by KPP Financial, a registered investment advisor firm serving clients throughout the United States. The clarity for your path forward starts now. Here is KPP Chief Executive Officer, Financial Advisor, Justin Klein. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome back to Invest Talk. This is our Tuesday, October 24th, 2023 edition. I'm Justin Klein, and I am here to help you, help guide you towards the finish line. And that is your own version of financial freedom. Everyone's different. Everyone has a different starting place. Everyone's goals are different. Some people want to work well into their 70s. Others want to retire early. Ultimately, what financial freedom is about is making your own decisions, doing what you want to do as opposed to what you have to do. And even when you do reach that level, it's also about managing your money properly. So this is an endeavor that is never ending. You always have to learn about new strategies, new risks, and new opportunities. And all of this changes when you enter a new market regime, which we've been talking to you about for a while. So this is really all about helping prepare you for today, as well as into the future in this new market regime. So I'm going to provide useful data, some unbiased perspective developed with over 20 years of investment experience. And we're going to talk about the market performance today. We're going to run down all the show topics, but right after we answer the first caller question now. Hi, this is Jackie from Wisconsin, and I'm calling about I as an igloo, Y-H. Uh, I just wanted to hear your opinion on this ETF, and if it was a good buy point right now, I'll listen to your answer on the podcast. Thanks. Bye. Well, in general, the, the broad market is at some major support levels. So that's if you do get a rally from here, that's certainly going to help all sectors. But healthcare in general is is very low on the list of the sectors I want to be adding to in this environment. There's a few reasons for that. Now, one is higher cost of capital. And a big chunk of the healthcare space is simply biotech. And biotech is, I call it your original Ponzi stocks. Companies that sell the dream of the next great drug, the next great cure for cancer or whatever, and they use that dream to raise capital, to dilute shareholders, to borrow money, etc. And that ultimately is a destroyer of capital for the vast majority of them. So there's that segment of the healthcare space that does not do very well as interest rates are going up and you have inflation. And then you have the other main swath of the healthcare space, and that is big pharma. And you see with what's happening in Washington, negotiating prescription drug prices. You know, the 2003 Prescription Drug Act was, uh, Medicare Prescription Drug Act, was a huge boom, boon for the pharma industry. And now with our budget becoming stretched, there's going to be a lot more scrutiny on 
Medicare expenses, for example. So I, I think that's a huge regulatory issue as well as patentless. A lot of these big pharma names are reliant on major block blockbuster drugs, and some of them are coming off patent. AbbVie is a good example. They have a, a big one. I think it's Humira that's coming off patent. So there, there's different ones that have a lot of uh, patent cliff exposure as well. Uh, and then, you know, I think the healthcare industry in general just has a lot of uh, disruption risk of governments maybe changing Obamacare, maybe going to a single payer system, government option. That's likely to happen, I think, in the future because, you know, Obamacare hasn't really fixed, I think, the issue, the, the main issues, which is healthcare inflation. And so, these are all reasons why I find the healthcare industry a very, very poor industry to be allocating capital to at this time. So I would pass on IYH. All right. Now we have a lot of ground to cover over the next 45 minutes and time permitting, we're going to get to my main focus points. And that looks in the story set up by this headline, long-term index investing, how time horizon affects odds of equity returns. Now, when analyzing time horizons, risk evaluation changes for different periods. So I'll talk about long-term index investing, asset allocation based on age, and goals-based stock market analysis. What else are we going to touch on? We're going to look at how can these higher interest rates, that not, not just talking about what happened last year, but over the past four or five months, this move in the 10-year, the long end of the curve, moving from three and a half, let's call it, in the late spring, all the way now to uh, almost at 5%, just a late last week. And what kind of impact will that ultimately have on the economy? And hint, that's much more impactful to liquidity, to the global market, the global economy, when the long end of the curve goes up versus the short end, very different dynamics there. So we're going to look at what that might mean. Also, gold is rallying a lot of geopolitical turmoil. And they're starting to break the long term correlation with US equities, gold prices, precious metal prices, and the precious metal bull market that basically just started over the last couple of weeks. This is extremely important to understand, extremely important to watch, because it should and likely will play a vital role in your portfolios going forward. And then lastly, how global producers are shifting their hunt for manufacturing capacity outside of China. So that's on the, on the docket for me today. We also have some voice bank questions. One is in regards to bonds and the other is Envent Electricity, NVT. We will try to fit an iTunes review question in as well. But let's talk about the market performance today. You had a decidedly positive day overall. 
Large cap stocks up about three quarters of 1%. Small caps actually slightly outdid that, 0.78% up on the day. So that was a positive growth side of the market, definitely outperformed overall. Bitcoin had a nice move higher on kind of passing some regulatory hurdles. That was uh, that was pretty big. You had some of the names that have been beaten down as of late, really getting a bid. Uh, obviously, the Bitcoin names like MicroStrategy, but also you had Next Era Energy, uh, which had been down big, that getting a nice bounce back. You let's see what else do we have? Let's see. Fair Isaac that was down seven percent. That's the company that does all the uh, the um, your FICO reports. There we go, FICO reports, and that was down about seven percent. So that was a big mover. We had earnings after hours between Google and. Microsoft and let's take a look after hours. Microsoft, I or initially it was up, yeah, it remains up after hours. And Google, uh, that was, I believe, down. Yeah, that was down from about one, it's called 140 ish at the close today. Down after hours, we're down around 130. So that'll be interesting to see that battle between and, and which one will weigh on the index more. Will it be the bump in Microsoft, which is up? Yeah, it's only up about three or four percent. Google's down uh, a much higher percentage, so it looks like Google will weigh on the broader markets uh, tomorrow. Uh, but we are in the midst of earnings season; a lot going on, and the market will start after this week. Start to think about what the Fed is going to say next Wednesday, and I think that could be a catalyst for the next move in markets. Either break the major support that we hit late last week in markets, or sorry, actually we hit that yesterday. Or do you get some sort of major bounce off of a more dovish Fed? So I think that could be a big catalyst for the market next week. All right. That's the start of our first segment. We're ready and willing to take your calls. So give us a call now at 888-99-CHART. Get ready for the next Invest Talk Wealth Webinar. Profit amidst chaos. Strategic investing in a recession. The Wealth Webinar will be presented online and free of charge, but you have to register in advance to reserve your spot. Which sectors tend to soar and which plummet during economic downturns? With the right strategies, you can safeguard your investments and also seize unique opportunities. So join Invest Talk hosts Justin Klein and Luke Guerrero of KPP Financial as they take you through the maze of mysteries involved with investing in times of recession. Tell your friends about the next Invest Talk Wealth Webinar. It's happening live, online, and free Thursday, November 9th from 1 to 2 p.m. Pacific Time. Go to investtalk.com and register now. Each day, Invest Talk listeners submit their finance and investment questions via phone or email. Would you like your question to be put near the top of the list? Just take a minute or two to leave a review and rating for Invest Talk at iTunes. And be sure to include a brief question with your iTunes review comments. Hey, Justin, it's Bruce from New York. Great show as usual. I'm looking for an ENP oil company right now and i 
found two that I'm interested in, and I'd like to see if you can do a comparison and see which one you like better. It's basically small company versus large company. I'm looking at Magnolia Oil and Gas, which is MGY, or, of course, the big guy out there, which is EOG, Resources. The only thing that concerns me about MGY is it looks like it's got a triple top. But other than that, I'd like your opinion of these two oil EMP producers and uh, if you like either one or if I should keep looking. Thanks very much. Great show. Bye. All right. Looking at MGY, Magnolia Oil and Gas, this is about a $5 billion market cap. So certainly in that small-ish mid-cap space. And you 2% dividend yield, but earnings are supposed to fall 53% this year and back up 18% next year. It's trading, let's look at its multiples that it's currently trading at. Enterprise value to even is right about four, a little less than four, and that is it's pretty cheap. But once again, it's a small name, so it should be cheap. Let's look at its balance sheet real quick. Uh, yeah, pretty much no debt. I like that, no debt there. EOG, a much larger name, as you said, 25, oh, I'm sorry, not, that's the revenue is 25 billion. Its market cap is, why am I not seeing it right here? There we go, 75 billion, also basically no debt. So the balance sheet really isn't a problem here. They're funding everything they're doing with their cash flow, paying their dividend, 2.5% dividend yields on EOG. So very similar, both can afford it, good balance sheet. EOG is trading about a five times enterprise value to EBITDA, but it's obviously a lot larger. And I'm going to go with the one, let me look at the profitability, because this is what's really important, is how well are these companies run? You can have a smaller company that is more disciplined, doesn't have as much revenue, isn't quite as large, but its return for shareholders is more consistent. Now, the issue with Magnolia is it hasn't been around that long. It looks like it's uh, went public in 2020. Yeah, I, or maybe it maybe it came out of bankruptcy in 2020. Let me pull a chart here back. Yeah, that's what it looks like. It came out of bankruptcy? Yeah, that's what it is. So there's not a whole lot of history there. EOG. Yeah, I'm just going to go with EOG. You know, I've, I've uh, yes, you're going to get a little discount from a price perspective, but the business is more diversified and EOG has operations in the US, Canada, Trinidad, UK, China, uh, et cetera. So it's broadly diversified, has a longer history of being well-run uh, and I wouldn't get too cute with it. Uh, the relative strength is much better 78s on EOG versus MGYs, 73. So uh, a little bit better there as well. So I like the chart better on EOG and the diversity of the business. So I'm going with EOG. All right, let's keep things going and play two in a row from 8 at 8, 99 chart. Hi, can I have your opinion on buying this stock for a long-term investment? FPI. Thank you so much. All right, this is Farmland Partners, and this is a REIT holding high-quality primary row crop farms with 165,000 acres in 18 states. So it is a farm REIT, and there aren't a lot out there to choose from. Uh, so what I would say is if you were looking to gain access to the farm real estate, farm exposure, this is a good way to do that. Because there aren't a lot of options just in the public markets. Now, is it my favorite REIT out there? 
you know, probably not. I think there are better opportunities in other slices, but you'd have to just be very bullish on the price of farmland. If you are, that's how you play. This is how you play it. This is not an income, uh, huge income opportunity, 2.3% dividend yield. Um, but as a diversifier amongst the portfolio of harder assets, right, uh, and not having much ability to get exposure to farmland, I think it's a good way to do it. All right, we're heading into a break. I'm ready to take your questions now at 888 chart Get ready for the next Invest Talk Wealth Webinar Profit Amidst Chaos Strategic Investing in a Recession. Set for November 9th, the Wealth Webinar will be presented online and free of charge. Thursday, November 9th, from 1 to 2 p.m. Pacific Time. Go to investtalk.com and register now. Now, my focus point looks into the story set up by this headline, Long-Term Index Investing, How Time Horizon Affects Odds of Equity Returns. And I'm going to talk about long-term index investing, asset allocation based on your age, because that's how a lot of people pick these particular mixes of stocks and bonds, and develop goals based on stock market analysis of longer-term trends. Okay, so we're going to dig into the data of basically four different portfolios. One that's 100% US large cap stocks. So that's when I say long term index investing, that's what I mean. Then the second portfolio is your standard 60 40 portfolio, which we discussed a lot on yesterday's show. That's 60% stocks, 40% intermediate term US government bonds. Then there's the 30-70 portfolio, 30% stocks, 70% bonds, and then a 100% bond portfolio. Okay, and then we're going to look at over 1, 5, 10, and 20-year time horizons. Okay, and what are the odds that there'll be a double-digit loss over that time period? And what are the odds that bringing more diversity in the portfolio besides just 100% bonds, will they'll come out ahead? Okay, that those other three portfolios by including bonds in some degree, either partially or fully. Okay, now looking at the one year time horizon, and remember, all of these returns that I'm going to talk about is are our real returns after inflation. Okay, backing out inflation. Okay, now over any any one year period, you will see that stocks. 17% of the time lose double digits. Okay. The 60 40 portfolio, 9% of the time. The 30 70, 5% of the time. And the 100% bonds, only 3% of the time. Now, the, the more bonds are in a portfolio, the likelier it will avoid the fate of a double digit loss. So that's why you always say, if you're looking to access the portfolio in the near term, having some bonds in the portfolio, lower the risk, lower that volatility, that makes a lot of sense. So that's the one year. But let's zoom out to the five year. Now the winning percentage for the all stock portfolio inched up a bit, but not by much actually. 
there is still a 16% chance you'll have a double-digit cumulative loss. So this is not annualized. This is cumulative over a five-year period. So slightly better than the one year, but still about a one in six chance. And what's interesting here is that the 60-40 portfolio also had that same level of risk over a five-year period of 16% of the time losing out by over double digits. Okay. Now, 100% stock portfolio beat all of those portfolios in all the five-year studies. Now, this goes back to 1929. I think it's 28, actually, is the start. 26, excuse me, 26. So talking about nearly 100 years of data. And so having that all-stock portfolio over any five-year period, about 75% of the time, that beats out all bonds. 73% of the time, it beats out the 30-70 portfolio. And 72% of the time, it beats out the 60-40 portfolio. Okay. Now, you go out to a 10-year time period. That's where things get much better for equities and a lot worse for bonds. Why is that? Because you start to get periods of build, of, of inflation building. And that's really what happens with bonds is that it's you can own bonds and you can have negative real returns and you're not really feeling that too dramatically. Okay. Like last year, equities were down a lot and inflation was high. And so the real returns on equities was very, very low, very negative. Bonds, this, you know, to some degree, but not nearly as obviously negative as, as, as equities. So over a 10 year period, only 10% of the time, the hundred percent stocks had a double digit loss, only 10% of the time, but 17% of the time, a hundred percent bonds had a double digit loss in real terms over that 10 year period. Pretty crazy, right? Now you zoom out to a 20 year period, it gets way better for equities and much worse for bonds. 100% equities beats 100% bonds 99% of the time. And 30, the 37, 30, 70 portfolio, 97% of the time, the 60, 40 portfolio, 93% of the time. And if you included some level of equities, no matter what the hundred percent, 60% or 30%, over a 20-year period, you never had double-digit cumulative losses. But bonds, you had double-digit cumulative losses in 19% of the 20-year periods. So pretty interesting data there to really hone in on understanding your time horizons. And when you're investing longer term, you want to understand these and know that bonds are never a long-term investment vehicle. They can be short term, they can be intermediate term, they can be a portfolio diversifier, but they will almost never be a great investment long term by themselves. Okay. Now the next invest stock, we'll look in the story behind this question. Is there too much risk in the world to bet against bonds? That story tomorrow. But for now, I'm Justin Klein, ready to take your questions at 888-99-CHART. Let's say you've been thinking about learning a new language. Okay, why? I mean, how would it come in handy? And where would you want to use it? Could it be that you have an upcoming international trip? Or maybe you want to connect with family members or friends from a different culture? I think you should know 
about Rosetta Stone. With millions of users, it's been the world's most trusted language learning program for 30 years. Rosetta Stone is available on your desktop or as an app with audio companion and the ability to download lessons offline. Rosetta Stone truly immerses you in the language you want to learn. It has a built-in patented speech recognition engine called True Accent. So as you practice speaking, you'll get feedback on how well you pronounce words. With Rosetta Stone, you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. It's an intuitive process designed for long-term retention. You really learn to speak, listen, and think in your new language. Rosetta Stone is an amazing value, so your special skill set is within easy reach. You know you want to do this, so don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, InvestTalk listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off now at rosettastone.com today. One of the most rewarding things I do each weekday is host the Invest Talk podcast. I truly enjoy helping investors, and I know that every question counts and every answer I provide will be unbiased. You, the caller, get to chart the course for each Invest Talk podcast. Call with your questions anytime, day or night, 888 99Chart. Hi, Steve, Justin, Lucas, Alex here from the UK. I've been looking at a London listed um, electrical design and manufacturer, uh, NVT, NVENT. Um, they do a lot of industrial stuff as well as um, data uh, liquid cooling, which really interested me as a potential area of growth, um, as well as some residential stuff. So it seems like even with a potential recession or slow economic growth, it does have areas with manufacturing um, that could be increased. It's about $8 billion market cap, return on equity 16%, um, 10% quarterly revenue growth, seems to be buying back shares, debt seems to be about stable around the billion dollar mark, and free cash flow of $420 million and a 1.3% dividend. PE is about 18, which seems average um, for the last five or so years. Um, it does seem to have stepped up from around $48 in June, um, and I was wondering if this company would interest you, and if the support levels around 51 or 48, you would see that as a good entry point if you think it's a good company. I look forward to your opinion and your view on the stock. Thank you very much, and I look forward to hearing on the show. All right, looking at Invent Electric, and I like this name. They, they're a provider of electrical connection and protection solutions. They have three segments, enclosures, thermal management, and electrical and fastening solutions. Most of their revenue comes from the enclosure segment, which produces solutions that protect and connect, protect, sorry, protect, connect, and manage heat in critical electronics, communications, control, and power equipment. I love that. It derives the majority of its revenue from the U.S. and Canada. So it is, uh, although it is domiciled in the U.K., its business is here in North America mainly. So I like where this is at. 
Uh, now it has reversed. The technicals have taken, I would call it a turn for the worse. As of late, peaked out around $59 per share. Now we're at 47 and change. But it is at some pretty good support right here in the $56, $57 range. At 47 uh, spot 48 at the close today. Now, I will say if it breaks this level, it probably heads down to 40, 41, and that is also good, probably better support, better long-term support. Uh, I, I like I like the name. I like that it has pretty solid balance sheets, buying back shares. That's a positive. It's dividend yield, 1.5%. A lot of people are going to say, oh, that's not that high. The yield's not great. I, I want something that has a better dividend yield. But in the reality is this has a good business. And a good balance sheet. And guess what? That yield not only can be sustained, but it likely will be raised over time because their payout ratio is only 25%. Their cash dividend payout ratio is only 28%. And if you look at their, uh, if, if you look at, um, you know, the growth of their business, it's not amazing, but it's solid. It's been slowing down. But last quarter, I like that it reaccelerated from 7% revenue growth to 10 after you know a couple of years ago, revenue growth was in the mid to high 20s. So that growth rate has slowed, so the multiple should come down a bit. Uh, but I like it. I like it. I, I still would worry that it breaks this level. It doesn't look like it's getting much traction at these levels, so it's probably consolidating to break to that next level around $40, $41, and that's where I'd pick it up. You could pick up a little bit, maybe do a starter position, and if it gets down to that 40 range, you can be more aggressive with it. That's probably the way I would play it. Uh, but a good name, good company, and more, most importantly, a good balance sheet. All right. Now let's touch on gold. Gold prices have been up pretty nicely as of late, and it's really bucking the trend of higher real yields, which typically weighs on gold prices. But we know with, what's, with, with what is happening geopolitically, there is a flight to safety with gold. And gold's rise has largely been a product of really central banks underpinning the demand for gold. And if you look overseas in places like China, there's actually about a 6% premium for gold in China versus London, which is at record highs. And I think the a big reason for this is twofold. The sanctions on Russia kind of showed that you... Your, your ownership of treasuries is not sacrosanct. You have to abide by the U.S.'s rules, otherwise they can basically confiscate your assets. And you can argue whether that's a smart way to utilize your power as a government, or will it inhibit the ability for countries to invest in your debt? which has been obviously a big factor over the past 20 years as debt has ballooned from what did we go into the 21st century around $3 trillion in debt. Now we're at $33 trillion. So it's going to be more important for foreign governments to be able to buy treasuries. And if they don't feel like they need to or want to be beholden to the politics of the United States, they're going to put their money elsewhere. And guess what is 
since there's no, you know, the dollar is kind of the clean, dirty shirt from a financial standpoint in the world. Gold is a now a more steady alternative. In fact, if you look at the last seven years, gold has a lower volatility than U.S. Treasuries. Pretty crazy, right? So this shift means that it's probably smart to have some allocation of gold in your portfolio. And probably not just 1%, probably not just 2%. This, in my mind, is a great portfolio diversifier, a great hedge against inflation. And if you're an aggressive investor, it probably should be a substantial portion, meaning double digits or more. Okay, and this, the fact that gold prices are now bucking the trends of higher real yields is speak, should speak volumes to you. Is sending the message that this is a vital portfolio diversifier and inflation hedge going forward, especially now in this more volatile uh, geopolitical environment. All right, let's go to Chris in Maine. Let's talk about gold. Yeah. Hey, Justin. Thanks for, thanks for taking my call. Uh, perhaps this uh, ticker symbol is a little ironic because I hear mm-hmm. you talking about gold right now and I can't mm-hmm. listen live. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was calling about Barrick Gold. Uh, I got a symbol or uh, a position a while ago on a dip mm-hmm. uh, down to 20. And actually since then, 20 seems to be as high. Every time mm-hmm. it hits there, it goes back down to mid-teens. Yep. So I was wondering over uh, the next year or two, if you see any hope in this position or if I should just get it while it's on a little bit of a uptick here. Uh, yeah. I mean, gold's been going through a consolidation period. And so the gold miners are also doing the same. And yeah, uh, G- this is GOLD Barrett gold. GOLD is the symbol. And we actually own this in, in some of our, our strategies. And uh, we like this, this name. It's one of the, the better, the, the one of the better, miners uh, historically and they have their minds well diversified throughout the world but in good jurisdictions that we really like obviously here in canada uh, and many friendly countries uh, around the world so uh, i i like uh, barrett gold we like barrett gold uh, even at these levels after this recent rally and you know w- the whole space is improving from a technical perspective in a rapid rate and uh, i think uh, barrick is one of those names that uh, could be uh, one of the best winners uh, during this time if inflation or if excuse me if gold does break out above that 2000 level which i do think is fairly imminent Oh, excellent. All right. Thank you very much for the advice. I appreciate it. Have a nice night. Thank you. Thanks for the call. Now, as regular listeners know, the Invest Talk voice make never closes. You can call with your question any day or night at 888-99-CHART. Hi, Stephen Justin. This is Kevin from California. I had a question regarding reverse mortgages. I'm trying to get a feeling of what you think about the reason why I ask is because my in-laws, they did a very poor job of managing their money and into retirement and they still have a mortgage that they're barely paying. So we've been assisting them for a while now by uh, paying into the mortgage and now thinking about doing a reverse mortgage on it so that there's no more payments. What I want to do is make sure I don't lose any of that money that uh, we've already put into the house 
and trying to get a better idea of like what you think because I've only heard negative about reverse mortgages at the end of the mortgage, you know, when they pass away, but what kind of debt might be involved and is there any way to salvage the house afterwards? There is some equity in there. So, you know, again, I just don't want to lose what I've already invested into it. Hopefully you have a site that I can listen to for on the show. Thanks. All right, reverse mortgages. I think for some people, they can be great options, but you have to tick a lot of boxes. One is you have to remember, this is for anybody who's, I believe you have to be 62 to have a reverse mortgage. So this is for a retiree or a retired couple who they don't want to live, they, they want to live in that house basically until they pass or until they have to move into some sort of assisted living facility or whatever, right? It's not for anybody that, oh, I want to live in the house for the next three to five years and then maybe I'll move somewhere else. No, no, no. This is a decision. I'm staying here for the next two, three decades, okay? So that's number one. You have to check that box. If you don't check that box, reverse mortgage is not for you. Number two, you have to have substantial equity in the home, not just a little bit of equity, typically 50% or more for this to work out, okay? So understand that. And then you also have to not want the property to really pass to the next of kin or for the next of kin to really make a big profit off of that property because reverse mortgages, they build over time. You don't pay the mortgage. That helps with the cash flow situation for people that haven't saved enough. And maybe they have a lot of their wealth tied up in their home. And you can avoid having to pay monthly payments. And oftentimes you could even avoid paying property tax directly. It's paid out basically paid out of that, that reverse mortgage. So you have to not care about that. That this is a utility thing. I just want my you know, family members, my in-laws, my parents, whatever, to have a home. And when they pass, you sell the home and you pay off the mortgage and odds are, are low, you're going to have much equity at all. So you have to be okay with that. And then lastly, the costs. The costs are high. This is not a typical mortgage. You have to, uh, this, these are government-sponsored vehicles and you have to pay something akin to like a PMI. And so they're extremely expensive compared to a normal mortgage. So you have to go in with your eyes wide open. But for the right people, for the right situation, it can be a great asset to tap if they're kind of behind the eight ball. They've kind of ran out of time to save. And you don't want to sell that home for tax reasons and then also having to go and buy something else or rent. And so it's a good time as well to do this because they're going to appraise the home and your equity value is probably pretty elevated compared to, you know, what might be a year or two from now. So timing wise, it's also a good time, but you have to make sure all those boxes are checked. All right, let's talk about higher interest rates. 
And it's not just about the higher interest rates on the short end, which those that moved up big time last year. But the 10-year treasury rate kind of peaked out back in the beginning of the year. Right around, where were we at? Four, four and a quarter. And then for most of the year into the early summer, we pulled back around three and a half percent. Market was pricing in a Fed pivot. Never came. Why? Because remember, monetary policy works with a lag. And what you had lately, what is called a bear steepener, meaning the short end of the curve, three month, one year, two year, they didn't really move much. They kind of stayed right around that five, five and a half percent range, didn't really move. But the long end moved, the 10 year moved from three and a half all the way to five, about 150 basis points. And typically, that is the market giving up and saying, yeah, there's not going to be a soft, not going to be a hard landing. We're going to move the long end up. Now that's part of it. The main part of it though is just simply the treasury supply. Treasury supply is booming. And the cost of the debt is booming as well. And so this is typically what happens at the end of a cycle is that the long end has a bear steepener like this, goes up, and that finally, it's the last thing that kind of breaks the markets, breaks the economy into a level of recession. Now, what I will say is, I've said this many times, I don't think the next recession is a major crisis. I think it's a mild recession. And I think governments come in, do what they always do, reliquify, stimulate, and reinflate their way out of a recession. They're, they're going to do it faster, just like they did in 2020 during COVID. In a different way, maybe not quite as strong because we don't have a pandemic, but it's still something that they're going to try to avoid, a major deflationary bust. And so the higher interest rates, I do think, are going to push us into a recession early next year. All right, we're heading to a break, so give us a call now at 888-99-CHART. Justin Klein is here and ready to take your calls live. Invest Talk, 888-99-CHART. Hi, this is John from Florida. I appreciate you guys' show. You guys are wonderful. Just calling about COP, Charlie Oscar Papa. Just wondering what you guys thought about it over the next year, five years. And I was wondering what you guys think is a good price to pick it up at. Right now, it's less than 3% of my portfolio. Uh, looking to kind of work my way up to uh, that 3% mark, trying to figure out what a good price you guys think uh, would be to, to pick some more up at. Uh, thank you, and enjoy the show. Look forward to hearing the answer on the podcast. All right, looking at ConocoPhillips, and we like ConocoPhillips. We actually own this for some of our managed accounts. Uh, it's pulled back over the past couple of days. Let's take a look here. It pulled back from about 127. Now we're at about 120 into some solid support here around 119.50 or so. Major support around 117. So we're getting into that zone where you'd want to pick it up. I wouldn't get too cute here. I would just uh, pick it up and, and do it now. You've had a nice little pullback. It's a name that has a good long-term track record, solid balance sheets, and a well-diversified set of assets that uh, I think will do well in this era of higher 
commodity prices higher, energy prices more globally. And big name, $143 billion market cap. So uh, I'm going to give a thumbs up on COP and I wouldn't get too cute. I would just buy it here. All right. Thanks for the call. And let's talk a little bit about how companies are thinking about managing their supply chain CapEx spending, meaning, hey, We've been investing in production in China for many decades, but because of geopolitical tensions that are likely to escalate or well, likely is a, a relative term, but many don't want to tempt fate, right? And what they are seeing, what a lot of companies are seeing is that it's difficult to find employees and to receive fair treatment in China, because both the US and China are being mutually antagonistic. And surveys now show US business leaders are, are eager to cut their China exposure and shifting investments to friendlier countries, maybe not always here in the United States, but at least friendlier countries. And investor calls are now starting to highlight this. Now, where are most companies looking to build manufacturing capacity? Well, that's Mexico. It's now surpassed China as the top destination for foreign direct investment by U.S. firms, according to the U.S. Bureau of Economic Analysis. So that's what I've talked about. If you're looking to invest in a foreign country, uh, it's hard to think of a, a name better than Mexico. Now, it has its own problems. Don't get me wrong. But just the trends geopolitically, the trends from a resource perspective, Mexico's very resource rich. Demographics, Mexico's demographics are still some of the best in the world. And so they're just gonna benefit. Now this move by corporations started under the Trump administration. And that was because of tariffs. But it's accelerated under Biden as well. And in August, U.S. Commerce Secretary said U.S. companies had complained to her that China has become uninvestable due to government actions such as fines and raids that just made it risky to do business in that country. And you're getting large companies, big auto suppliers, for example, that are moving entirely, plan to move entirely out of China over the next three years. But the main way that companies are moving out is not by shutting down their production there, but it's just diversifying. A survey of large U.S. multinationals showed that more than a third of respondents have cut or paused their investments in China over the past year. That's up from 22% who said that last year, which was also a record high. And they said geopolitics is the single largest issue weighing down business sentiment over the long term in China. So this is mainly politically driven, but we know in this environment of hyperpolarized politics and uh, an increasingly multipolar world, this trend is not going to change. 
I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program. Steve and I thank you for listening, and we encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads, which you can find anytime at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play, and be sure to rate and review on iTunes as well. And please remember to register for the upcoming November 9th Wealth Webinar, Profit Amidst Chaos, Strategic Investing in a Recession. It'll be free, but you do have to sign up over on our website. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk. Good night. InvestTalk is a trademark of KPP Financial. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them. Specifically, nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell security. Because such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor firm which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is president and Justin Klein is chief executive officer of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial. Thank you for listening, and your comments and questions are welcome on our 24-hour listener line at 888-99-CHART.